Toronto FC, a team with a new direction after an off-season makeover. It's an all-Canadian affair. Matt working against Morgan. Puts it across the mile. Yes! Marco DeVille! That's what we expected from him! To make those rainbows in my mind when I think of you sometime and I wanna spend some time with you just the two of us. Welcome to another edition of the Two Saltooths Podcast. I'm Dwayne Rollins here in Toronto. Kevin Lermay's in Montreal. And the frog in my throat, his name is Pedro. And he's not a welcome guest. I have a terrible cold, Kevin. But I'm going to fight through this because I'm a professional. I have to say, I have a little uh, AC cold myself. So uh, it seems like it's contagious. So uh, be careful to all our listeners. You might not want to catch a cold. Yes, and, and we, if anyone knows how to kill Pedro... Um, I would really like to know how. I, uh, tequila usually works pretty good, no? Tequila, yeah. I'm loopy on uh, Dayquil at the moment, so if I say anything really strange, you can clip it for later. Uh, we've got Chris Hoffley on the line later on today for uh, an interview from Ottawa. He's uh, the beat writer. He's a sports writer for the Ottawa Sun, covers the Ottawa Fury there. He was at the opener this weekend uh, where the Fury opened uh, their new stadium uh, to a wonderful crowd in ML- or an NASL, a record crowd. We're going to talk to Chris about what that experience was like and where the Fury are right now. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, what the success of that attendance might mean to the league we had last week, and then we'll do our MLS review. Uh, before we do all that, Kevin, we'll throw back to you, and we'll ask how your weekend went. My weekend was pretty good. It was a mix of soccer and Tour de France, so it was a great weekend, two of my favorite sports. And I have to say, I was glad to see yellow on one side, but really, really not happy to see that damn yellow. In the soccer side. <laughs> Fair enough. And speaking of cycling and all that, only two days to go to the Commonwealth Games where you can get all your action on the what? Five Rings Olympic Sports Podcast. All right. Enough of that. We'll have the regular Five Rings tomorrow. I'll let my voice recover a little bit. But before that, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back with Chris Hoffley from the Ottawa Sun. And we're back, and uh, we've got Chris Hoffley on the line, a sports writer for the Ottawa Sun. He was at the Ottawa Furies uh, fall opener on the weekend, the stadium opener as well. Chris, thanks for joining us. Oh, my pleasure, guys. Good to, have you. Good to talk to you guys. Uh, Chris, it, it was an exciting time to see that that stadium open. Anyone who's been around the scene, not just for soccer, but for any sports, knows how, how special Lansdowne in that area is and how much battles there were to, to get that stadium up and running. Just uh, what was it like in Ottawa to be a sports writer, a sports fan, this past weekend, both with the Fury opening and with the uh, Red Blacks coming back? You know, it, it was exciting. I mean, just for just for me as someone who's been around the team, has covered the team for a few months now, it was exciting that to be in that stadium, to be up in that new press box, and to to see that many people come come into a to a game after seeing only you know two, three, four thousand people sometimes come out to the the early Fury games over at Carleton University before before TD Place was open. So yeah, there was a really uh, uh, good buzz of of excitement you know, throughout the throughout the day 
yesterday. Obviously, the, the home team didn't get the result they were they were hoping for against New York. But I think uh, even even the players and, and, and coaches were happy with the with the experience and in general minus the minus the result. But uh, it was I think everyone that was involved or, or took it in yesterday was was excited and, and had a good time. Before the uh, stadium opened, there were some concerns about the turf, about uh, the the ability to get the lines off amongst some in the soccer community. Just from your perspective, how was the stadium yesterday? How was the playing surface? Uh, what was your perspective? It was uh, better than I had expected, uh, to be perfectly honest. I think, it was, I think it exceeded the expectations of most people who were watching it. Um, I, it was probably one of the questions I got asked most often by people leading up to the match was what they were going to do with the lines and if there was going to be football lines and how distracting that was going to be. Uh, they said from the beginning that they were going to wash the football lines off after, before every Fury game or replace that with the, with the soccer markings. And it worked really well. If you, if you looked at it from a kind of bird's eye, bird's eye view like I had up in the press box, you could see a little bit uh, left over from football, the the, the, the you know, sidelines and, and, the, and the sponsorship logo signs. Um, obviously a little bit harder to get off, but overall, uh, especially if you got down a little lower in the stadium, you didn't notice anything. It just looked like a, uh, a really great soccer pitch. And I know uh, from talking to the players uh, playing on it compared to what they've played on uh, up until this point this season, it's uh, it's great for them. They, they say it's you know, as good as it gets without being real grass. There was 14,000 people for the Fury game at Lansdowne. Do you think uh-huh. there was a, a new factor, a beginner's luck, or maybe just a, because this team is sparkling, there was more people, or do you think the Fury will, will be able to continue to have crowds of this size going forward? You know, I, I know they'd obviously love to have crowds of this size all the time. I don't know if that's uh, realistic. You know, down, down the road for every game, especially if, you know, when there's weekday games and whatever. But, uh, I think there was a few factors that made, made yesterday successful. Obviously, TV place being open, uh, people, people hearing about the Fury just maybe that, that hadn't followed them up until now, but heard about them mentioned in the same breath as the Red Blacks when talking about CFL coming to town and the teams that would be playing out of there. So that got, you know, new people, I think, coming out and checking it out. But I think anyone that likes soccer at all, uh, Knowing that there's a pro team now in the city playing out of the state of the art facility, uh, a lot of people were just really curious to see it and really excited to see it. And I think that that created this uh, this league record that stands now for attendance, at least for now. And uh, you know, I think if they if they could get you know upwards of six seven thousand people at games, I know Indy this year has done has done really well with attendance, with you know kind of ten thousand people across the board. So if Ottawa could get around that on a consistent level, they'd be they'd be really happy, but uh, for opening night, getting 14, 14 and a half thousand people there was, was, uh, was great. I, I, I still think they maybe could have got a few more people in there. I think there were some people that were disappointed it wasn't a sellout, but you know, it remains to be seen. Soccer is still, still young in the city. And how was the atmosphere in that stadium on the game, Chris? <laughs> it's, uh, it, I think it depended where you were. Um, overall, it was great. It was, there were a lot of people, uh, a lot of cheering, for, you know, exciting plays. But I think if you ask some of the real diehards, especially people uh, that, that make up the, the supporters group, they would have liked to have seen people getting a little bit more into it, a little bit more uh, rambunctious and, and loud, uh, and not just have these isolated pockets of, of the super fans banging on drums and doing their thing. 
Uh, I think it's typical of Ottawa a little bit. In a lot of ways, you see it at concerts sometimes where people are sitting down and, and trying to figure out why they aren't up and dancing. It was the same kind of thing with this. I think people, again, it goes back to, to this being a new sport here. In a lot of ways, uh, people don't know the culture behind it maybe and like people get you know dressed up for these games and people bring in all sorts of kind all sorts of noisemakers and 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 you know chants and, and songs and i think people if they hadn't seen that before were maybe a little bit surprised by it and didn't really know what to think and and that just uh, again goes to educating people about the sport and getting people to come more often to, to kind of feel it out chris uh we just came off a world cup as everyone knows and it was a great world cup that generated a lot of buzz all over the place and i'm sure ottawa was no exception um, how would you describe the overall interest in the sport right now in the capital, uh, the interest in the sport as a spectator sport in the capital right now? Well, I think you couldn't have had better timing uh, in terms of, of the World Cup happening right, you know, this year when, when Fury was making his debut in the league. So I think, you know, that that was great timing-wise. People, people see that and they hear that there's a pro club here. Um yeah, I think I think it doesn't do any anything but help. I think Ottawa's got a long way to go. Uh, I hear people very prematurely already talk about the ifs and could we get a, a, an MLS franchise in the city. And um, I think it's it's too early to talk about. We just have to see how how soccer catches on. And there's obviously a really good core group of support, um, but it's not as big as it as it needs to be to to really get to really make soccer successful here. But I think the interest is there. It's building. It's not as widespread, obviously, yet as hockey or football or you know anything else is in Ottawa. But you know you got to start somewhere, and it's it's still early. Uh, let's turn the attention to the on the pitch stuff. The the, the team right now, um, they've struggled mm-hmm. a little bit. Uh, you can understand that in the first season. Just from your perspective, covering the team, uh, what do they need to do in the fall season to have a, a realistic competitive uh, uh, chance? Well, scoring goals for starters would be a would be a solid step in the right direction. They've had a little bit of trouble in that department the last few games. I think they're they've had one goal in their last last four matches. If you go back to the end of of the uh, of the spring season, so obviously, yeah, as you said, there's there's growing pains. There's there's a lot of good uh, with the product they have on on the pitch right now. Their their midfield is really getting a lot of. A lot of praise. Uh, it, it's very solid. Um, again, it's it's finishing. You know, yesterday you saw it against New York. Um, some really good chances. Ottawa probably had the better, and then definitely had more chances throughout the game, and they just couldn't get that that final connection in the attacking third, or you know, just get that final shot by the by the New York keeper. And and uh, but I was talking to to the head coach Marcus Santos today, and he's not worried. You know, he says. Uh, he says he'd be worried if they weren't getting chances, and that's when he would kind of look at making some some more significant changes. But uh, as it stands right now, he's he's happy with what they're what they're getting done, and he, I think that the thought is that once once the, that last connection is there and the goals start going in, they're gonna start going in consistently. Chris, uh, thanks again for joining us. Uh, we'll maybe check in a little later on this year. Oh, my pleasure, guys. Anytime. Thank you, Chris. And that was Chris Offley of the Ottawa Sun, and we'll be right back after this little quick break. Thanks for listening to the Two Solid Dudes MLS Podcast with Dwayne Rollins and Kevin Larme on Canadian Soccer News. If you want to reach Dwayne and Kevin, email twosolidudespodcast at gmail.com. Twitter, Two Solid Dudes Pod. Go like our page on Facebook. 
iTunes rate and review now. Back to the show. And we're back. And thanks again for Chris uh, for coming on on short notice. Um, I I was at a game, as everyone knows, earlier on in the year. Anyone who's listened anyways would know that I went up to the Ottawa Fury's first ever game. I, I kind of wanted to go up for this one, but circumstances prevented. But it sounded like it was a fun time. I know a few people that were at that game, and uh, certainly it was an exciting day to be in there. I think we'd be unrealistic, like Chris said, if we expected attendance to remain at that level. But uh, certainly you've exposed a few people to it, and uh, certainly even if 10% of that crowd that had never been before comes back to another game, then it's a success on the day. Absolutely, and to be fair, I know a lot of people from Montreal that will have traveled, at least a couple thousand people, the diehard soccer fans of the region that had nothing else at a pro level to see than the impact, now have a second choice in a different league, in a different setting. It's a di- really different vibe as well when you go watch an NASL game. Uh, different sponsors, different packaging, or a different cover, you could say, to the whole game. So it was a... Uh, Good for the Fury. It's 40,000 people for your home opener in a market where there was never really uh, a popular professional franchise of soccer. It's, it's great. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, the, the Prime Minister was at the football game on Friday, but he wasn't at the Fury game on Sunday. So that tells you that it's not quite as mainstream yet. But what, who was at the game was a lot of uh, soccer groups, a lot of, uh, of the diehard fans, the starting on riot, or Monday Riot, the... Uh, Bytown boys, uh, you know, there were the, the, the supporters were there and, and a lot of clubs were there too. And I think that that combination of, of bringing in the youth club market, which you cannot lean on for attendance, but you can't ignore either. I think supporters group focused people tend to, to dismiss the importance of getting the clubs in. And I, I think it's either 1A and 1B in a lot of cases. You need the kids there. And uh, the supporters are also important. A lot of people from the other side of it, they ignore the importance of bringing the passion and the, the hardcore interest as well. So the, you have those core groups buying in, then there's there's room for success there. And, and my impression of Ottawa when I went there earlier this year was that it was um, very similar to the early days of, of the Toronto scene that I was familiar with and, and that I hope that it can grow from there. And I think that my experience watching the Toronto scene grow is that it does grow. It grows through just uh, exposure. People see how fun it is to be part of it, be part of a community, and they, they join in. Or they just enjoy watching that community provide atmosphere in the stadium. So I think it's a good start for Ottawa. I think that the um, the shininess of that new stadium will allow them to draw some pretty good crowds the rest of the way. So it's kind of up to the team on the pitch to entertain them now. Absolutely. And unfortunately, uh, the Fury lost one nothing against the New York Cosmos, which... Uh, for now, are probably the best team in NASL anyways. Yeah, they, they, they lost the first half to Minnesota, but uh, but certainly they are the, the team that has the most money and the most dominant players uh, in terms of the, the talent level on the pitch. They've got a lot of former MLS players that are on that team. And, uh, you know, within American soccer circles, uh, within certain American soccer circles, there is a debate that whether that suggests that NASL is, is closer to MLS in talent level than it is. I think anyone who realistically looks at the rosters understands that they're still a step behind. It's a level two. But I, I think that a, a city like Ottawa, like a, any soccer fan, should be excited to have a team at that level there. It is good soccer. Um, it is local soccer. It is yours. And you can experience it and enjoy it. So I hope that what Chris said about how some people talking about can we get an MLS team doesn't hold these people back from supporting the local product because we, for too long in this country, have ignored our local product at our own peril. Yeah, I don't know if that's never going to happen in the fourth Major League Soccer team, but yeah, it's never going to happen. I 
I think it would be years from now, and it would have to be an organic thing. Yeah, um, it would have to be after the actual Canadian League or NASL Canada, whatever you want to call it, ever sees light of day. Maybe after that, we will have a, a, a like uh, maybe a pro rel system or whatever you want to say it. But uh, for now, I don't see pro rel day. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell my any if if there's any new listeners from Ottawa that are uh, directed here uh, through maybe a link that goes out uh, that have never heard us before. I'll tell you exactly how you get an MLS team. First off, it's 20 years from now, maybe 15 at the the top end, and it has to do with passionate crowds that are supporting the NASL team that's there right now, and MLS being forced to not ignore it anymore. That is the only way they're coming back into Canada into any market. Uh, is if you force them to pay attention to you. And the way you force them to pay attention to you is you go out and you support passionately your local team. And you might just find, if you do, that you get what you want anyway, to, to paraphrase the Orlando. Goals. Yeah, Orlando did it that way. Uh, you see a movement in Sacramento, which is a team that has a real long shot to get an MLS, but are getting paid attention to because of good crowds there. Um, they're in USL Pro. But uh that's the way you do it. That's the model of modern MLS. There's two models to get an MLS expansion team right now. Either you're stupid rich or David Beckham, which yeah, is... Yeah, I played for the game and stupid rich. <laughs> yeah. Or you are organic and from a place that no one ever would have thought of. Orlando was never on anyone's radar until the supporters there forced people to put it on their radar. So if you really, really, really want MLS, Ottawa, and be careful what you wish for, but if you really, really want MLS... Then get out and support the Fury now. That that's my message to to anyone Ottawa listeners that are are new to this. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that we need to support all this. My one worry about about what Chris said there with that MLS comment is whether this was it, it would indicate that these people that are reluctant already to support NASL when you have American attachment might be even more reluctant if you get the all-Canadian situation, which we've talked about Mm -hmm. uh, before coming in. So I think that's kind of why it's important when that all-Canadian team launches that it sort of has that NASL branding on it, which Mm -hmm. allows them to be an all-Canadian league and still have enough of an attachment to the American league that the reluctant Canadians, the self-hating Canadians, will still get out and support it. Absolutely, and hopefully those, you know, those famous soccer snobs, you know, the, the, the type of creatures that comes around once every couple of years and bash on local and club soccers and only like their country soccer. Well, we have to find a way as well to drive them into watch either the Fury or any team for that matter to continue the growth of the sport. Cause Dwayne, we both experienced this in the last couple of weeks as well. There's still some, a lot of soccer bashing in the media and people still, uh, criticizing that type of sport and it just has we don't do that with other sport come on except hockey maybe but we need to uh, to give it a the shot as being itself as well absolutely i mean the the soccer bashers are are a dying breed but uh, they're still out there because it's you know amongst a certain generation they just weren't exposed to the sport and that's the the key to to soccer's long-term success is the demographics you what anyone who knocks the growth of soccer and looks down their nose and dismisses the possibility that the sport will continue to grow misses is that it has grown exponentially in the last 20 years and it will continue to do so. There's just the demographics are just running in its favor. It's not going to be an overnight thing. Um, that's what these critics they point to. They go, ah, see, it's still not the most popular. Well, of course it's not. It's not going to be for another 20, 30, 50, probably not in our lifetime, Kevin, but it is going to continue to grow. And that's the evidence is clear as day that it will. And, we're, we're going to see it. Uh, we're going to see it with our own eyes, and our our kids and our grandkids will see it even more. But uh, until that time, I, I don't think that uh, I will be podcasting in thirty twenty two. So uh, we'll just move on. Um, 
Yeah, Kevin, uh, one quick note. I wanted to, to talk a little bit about development as well. Uh, I was at the TFC Academy game uh, yesterday in uh, League One Ontario. As those who follow this podcast know that we've, uh, we support the, the growth of that semi-pro league there and, and think that it's key to the, the pyramid moving forward to get those third-tier leagues all across the country. Um, I was talking to the TFC Academy coach, Michael Stefano, yesterday. He indicated to me that already, just less than a year in, uh, that they are ready to graduate up to five of their players to the USL pro level. And I think that that's an indication of just how important it is to give playing opportunities to players. If you can graduate five players and get them to a USL pro level, that doesn't mean five are going to move up to MLS from there, but it might mean one of them does. And they, in the past, they would have all been lost even before that. So I think that that's a clear indication of why we need to get these leagues playing and these leagues focused on giving Canadian kids a playing Do you see a direct correlation with those five players in the last two months? They've played, what, six, seven games in the League One? Uh, they're up to 10. They played their 10th game yesterday. 10th game? So do you see correlation between... Do you think those 10 games are what actually made them get uh, uh, sign a pro contract? Well, you're talking to a guy like Babuli, uh, Mohan Babuli, Babuli uh, which is a mouthful to say sometimes, but he's a, a kid that uh, kind of came out of nowhere to score a lot of goals. Well, leader now. I suspect he's one of the... Stefano wouldn't tell me the name of the players, but I suspect he's one of the guys that's going to go up. Um, he's a guy that wouldn't have really drawn people's attention until he started scoring goals in the bucket by the bucket load. Uh, so now he's going to get a chance. Uh, you, uh, Marco Rodriguez is another kid that's really stepped up his game. He's already had a brief stint in uh, Wilmington. Um, I think that you're seeing that by getting the consistent opportunity for these kids to play and be exposed, that that's, that's really going to benefit them. I think the next step in League One's development, and I was talking, we have a League One segment here real quick, though I was talking to someone about this today, is right now, uh, that league is top heavy. The top three, four teams are a step above the bottom three, four teams. And then there's kind of a middle group in there that are, that are sort of, on the, depending on the day, able to compete. Um, you need this, uh, the whole level below to, to rise up because you get a few stinkers in that, to be blunt. But when you have the top two teams playing each other, I watched TFC Academy play uh, Bonazuri yesterday. And it was 4-3 game. Um, a few mistakes in the, the back line, but uh, it was an exciting game to watch. But... Uh, that, that was two very talented teams that were pushing each other and were helping each other develop. The problem is the, the day before that, I watched Sigma Academy play another team and B Football Academy, um, and it was 7-1 for Sigma. So, you know, you got to get that bottom to rise up for the League One to truly thrive, but it's in its first year, and we really just have to keep supporting it uh, if it's going to grow and to, to close that gap. Absolutely, and PLSQ is doing pretty decently this season as well. There's a certain growth. Uh, crowds are getting there slowly, but it's not the goal of that league. But it's still, uh, it gives a uh, a playing time. But there's one thing I like more about League One than the PLSQ. That to be fair, if anybody from the PLSQ or the Federation of Soccer in Quebec is listening, uh, you need to maybe have a young players quota in the PLSQ. A lot of uh, not all glories, but maybe close to that, are playing at that league. Some of them are worth it. If you talk about like Federico Mugen, the Brazilian player who's uh, dominating that league and probably can still play in the NSL if he wanted to. Uh, he was in a Coca-Cola commercial as well when you were watching the World Cup. There you know, the one soccer player used to juggle the ball in that Coca- Well, it was him. But him, he's one of the only stars in that league that's still pretty young. And I think... PLSQ needs to go a little younger if it wants to achieve the same thing that uh, League One might achieve sooner than PLSQ did. Yeah, and I would estimate that about 90% of the League One players are under 23 players. Um, there That's are, what you need. 
yeah, the sprinkling of the Andre Lombardos, the Andrew Ornich, is, uh, those guys are, are around, and I, they uh, they provide some good leadership. Um, uh, Windsor's keeper is in his 30s. You know, like there's guys like that that, that are there to provide leadership and sort of helping the young guys along, and I think they're important and vital too, but they should be a sprinkling, not not the main focus. I, I suspect that if the Quebec League and the Ontario League played in a have their top teams play right now, that the Quebec League might come on top, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're doing the right things, right? Like, mm-hmm. but development. Um, yeah. I think I was talking to someone else just to finish the thought today. I think that the TFC, there's sort of, this is a bit of a learning curve for them right now. I think what you'll see them do, I'm speculating a bit now, is in future their senior academy team will probably be playing in a USL Pro kind of level. I suspect TFC will probably move towards bringing its own USL Pro team up here. And that you'll see the U17s play in, in League One, and um, they'll be that'll be a nice challenge for the U17s. The the U20s, um, TFC Senior Academy, right now are are pretty dominant in that league. They are are I think by far the best team that I've seen play, and I've seen them play quite a bit this year. And I've seen Vaughn play three times now, uh, which is the other team in there. The uh, the only team I really can't call on a lot is Windsor, that's near the top. I haven't seen them yet, but uh, but certainly TFC Academy has done very well. That said, if you drop back a couple years on that and let their, their 19-year-olds or 18, 19-year-olds play against USL Pro, you let your 16, 17-year-olds play against these guys, it's a perfect kind of a system that, that allows TFC to, to really develop its own talent and it's going to benefit them in the long run. Absolutely. No, you're right. You're right. right on that note, we're going to take a quick break, uh, Kevin. Uh, we'll come back and we'll break down the uh, Canadian MLS action from this past week. Yeah, I think we have to. Hi, this is Dwayne Rollins of the Two Solitudes podcast. Uh, doing this podcast, it's a labor of love for Kevin and I, but it's not a free labor of love. There are costs associated with doing it, costs with our time, with hosting, with so on and so forth. As such, for this month only, we're doing a fundraiser to try and raise a little bit of money to keep this podcast going and, and improve it to maybe two times a week permanently. If you'd like to help us with that, you can do so the following ways. You can send an EMT transfer to csndonation at gmail.com. You can support us through PayPal at dgrollins at gmail.com. That's, that's D-G-R-O-L-L-I-N-S. Thank you, and we really appreciate it. And we're back, and unfortunately Pedro's still in my throat, so uh, if anyone has any poison that they can get rid of the stupid thing in my throat, I'd be happy for that. But uh, alas, um, Kevin, let's talk about uh, the Montreal Impact. Huh? Uh, 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 Devile scored, that was good, right? Yeah, yeah not that, he scored, he could have scored a couple, maybe two more if he didn't get like a foot off the crossbar or stuff like that. He missed a little accuracy, but yeah, he scored, nice cross shot. Well, that's good. So that's something. So let's talk about the other half. What happened? Bernardo Honor happened, Dwayne. <laughs> that and a very poor midfield. Uh, the first Honor goal was alright. The second goal was a nice cracker, I recall. But two goals, man. He had five shots on net. The keeper, Steve Clark for Columbus, had five saves in the second half. Did not have nothing to do in the first half. In the second half, Montreal attacked a couple times. And Clark, five saved. And, you know, Dwayne, we have to be honest here. Uh, Montreal had three defeats in a row. After one undefeated week, you get three loss. The midfield is simply not good enough. And I'm going to name names to you, Dwayne. And individually, we would think that, well, in the Montreal bubble of what we think about players, and you understand what I mean by that when we continue the conversation, yeah. uh, those names seems good. Like you talk about the, I'm going to start with the biggest one, like Patrice Bernier, Felipe, 
you talk about the Nakajima Ferran, uh, those players have good reputation, but for some reason, the sum of the parts sucks. Literally. Yeah, yeah it, it's not been a good year. Uh, I, and I don't mean to be rude to any players at all. It's just, it's simply, the midfield is simply not good enough. We're losing balls. We're losing possession. It seems they're losing fitness throughout the game and at the 70th minute. They don't have enough juice and left in the tank to actually do something effective with the ball. And they lose that, like, that one or two inch that they're missing of uh, fitness. They get to the player and instead of blocking that ball, well, he gets a shot and it goes in. Evan Bush played instead of Troy Perkins. Out of the blue, they tried to shake things up. It did not really work. It brought one goal in the first half, but again, three wins all season long, simply not good enough. Sounds like something they have to do when Carey Price took a night off. Anyway. Yeah, exactly. It's like a hockey move. Hey, let's shake things up. Let's change the keeper. It doesn't have the same effect. No. And um, Perkins but, is like a little taller than Bush, and Perkins would probably have stopped that second goal. It's, it's, yeah, it might have the opposite effect because the the keepers are so vital to Marshall in the back line. Um, yeah. You mentioned off-air that uh, there might be a player in Toronto that you might uh, wish he still had. And Colin Warner. And that, to me, it's, uh tells you what some of the fans and some of the media thinks about players. People used to hate Colin Warner here. For some reason, he was that kind of player that rubbed people the wrong way, I guess. But people used to hate and bash him all the time. Why are you still playing Warner? He was like the the player identified with Jesse March or like the bad side of the coaches that we had in the last couple of years. You know, those 28 coaches in three years. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> but damn, I wish that Warner was still here. He's been probably been the best midfielder for TFC in the last month. And for now, for Montreal, midfield's been struggling. We lost Bernardello. We lost Warner. And yeah, we replaced them in a way, but I think we replaced them uh, bottom bottom leveling, I think. And unfortunately, Montreal is last in the league, and I don't see them going anywhere anytime soon. I and We talked about this off-air, too, and I'm going to state this carefully as a Torontonian, but I'm going to state this as a Torontonian that has experienced it firsthand here in Toronto. Uh, from an outside perspective, I've all for the last little bit I viewed the impact like like I viewed TFC through a lot of those dark years, the two hundred nines, two tens, two two elevens when TFC was just treading water. Is a lot of the big problems I saw in Toronto at that time is they consistently thought that they had better ideas than people that were running or that were working in MLS for years that they just refused to follow conventional thinking in MLS. And I see the same thing with the impact. And I wonder whether there's an institutional arrogance there that prevents them from seeing that. And that sometimes manifests itself up even with the fans. I'm not calling the fans arrogant. I'm saying that what they're learning from their management is making them think about ways and not challenge them in ways that they should be. Remember at the start of the year, Kevin, when MLS Soccer put out their preseason power rankings? Oh, do I remember. Where was the impact ranked? Um, let me see pretty much exactly where they are right now. The last in the it, league. And how was the impact's reaction to that? Oh, the who the pundits don't know what they're talking about. The impact said, yeah, really? We'll use that as motivation. And the fans were like, ah, you guys don't know nothing. We're going to make the playoff. We might even finish first in the East. Boy, were they wrong. And no, the pundits were not wrong. Yeah. Everybody else was. Well, everybody else in Montreal was. 
and not to toot my own horn, but I did actually pre-warn that the impact would crash at halfway of last season based on some statistical metrics that I was looking at and just based on my own understanding of how MLS works. But look, the impact are not that far away from getting it turned around. No MLS team ever is. Even as we're seeing with Toronto this year, as team as pathetically bad as TFC was over the year, over the years was one off season away from being a contender for winning the East, which they are right now. And look at New England. They were first. Then defeats later, and now they might not even make the playoffs. Yeah, it's a league that you can swing quick one way or the other. However, you do need to be cognizant of things that work in MLS and not try and do things constantly differently. Trying to constantly swim upstream, you're never going to get anywhere. It was the TFC way for seven years. And I don't think anyone in Montreal wants to be associated with the TFC way. And I say that lovingly to my Montreal friends. You do not want to be associated with the TFC way, but you are right now. So maybe you need to challenge your management a little bit more than, than you are. I don't know. I'm not there, Kevin. Is, is the challenge... challenge did, did you say challenge or change? I did, did challenge, change, and challenge. Oh. Or, yeah. I don't know. Is the media challenging them there? Or is anyone trying to call them out on the way that they're trying to manage that club? Uh, some of them have tried. Some of them have done it. And Nick Sabetti has been pretty harsh with his, well, he's been right, right point on, but, uh, he said that squad's simply not good enough. And sometimes you have to look at who builds the squad when that squad is not just good enough. I've talked about it here on this podcast. I've talked about it on my other podcast. When someone has carte blanche and no accountability, it seems, and that's always it seems. That's why I'd say it seems because allegedly we don't know. We don't really know what's going on behind closed doors. So for what we're seeing, yeah. it seems that there's a lack of accountability. We don't know if it's true or not, but if it is the case, it would explain the lack of result maybe on the pitch as well. Yeah, and they, look, they, they were successful at a lower level. And a lot of the things that the impact, they, I think that the impact have failed to recognize an important thing, that they don't have the same resource advantage that they had at that lower level that allows them to overcome mistakes. They have no but, advantage at all right now. Uh, yeah, when they have something. an when they had that advantage at the lower level, they truly did. They were probably the wealthiest club along with the, with the Whitecaps, uh, when they were in D2. And it showed, the results, they, it showed at that level. That, that financial, the fact that they were a market that belonged in MLS, that was playing at a lower level, allowed them to be very successful at the lower level. They don't have that advantage anymore. They need to have a management advantage and they need to have a management advantage that recognizes the limitations of both playing in Canada and playing in Quebec and try to overcome that and use it as an advantage. It's a tough thing to win up here. I suspect, as I've said before, and I don't mean this in a disrespectful way, it's even tougher to win in Quebec. So I think that there really needs to be a management rethink in Montreal, and I just don't know with the owner in place, who, as I've said many times before, has done wonderful things and deserves a lot of credit for maintaining soccer in that province. I don't know whether he's going to be able to step back and see beyond his own thinking. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I mean by... uh Maybe lack of accountability. You need to be accountable for the results of your team sometimes. That it's way easier to change one person. And after three seasons of changing coach, because I'm including the last NASL one as well, uh, maybe it's time to change the guy that changes the coaches. Yeah, fair enough. I think we're going to be having this conversation for a while. I suspect that they, that might be the move that happens, but it won't happen probably until uh, August or September when the, uh, when the, the it's official that they're out of the playoffs it, rather than it just looks like they are. I put every ba- every egg in the CCL basket for now, I think, as well. I guess, yeah, that could be a saving grace, although it didn't, didn't save our inventor. Nope. Um, <laughs> thankfully. Uh, I would have saved him. 
speaking of TFC, um, I'm going to go on a little bit of a rant here right now. Uh, there's going to be there's a friendly being played on Wednesday uh, between um, Spurs, Tottenham, Spurs, Tottenham, Hotspur. You know the <laughs> team from London. Yeah, yep. uh, they're going to play the mighty TFC Reds. Uh, this is a game that's worth uh, how many points in the standings? Um, let me think here. Let me just flip through my notes. None. Yep. Yet. Um, for some reason, Jermaine Defoe, TFC's leading scorer, uh, most valuable player, clearly, in the first half, sat for all but the last 30 minutes or 25 minutes of a game against Houston, a game that was worth just checking my notes here now. I think it was worth three, the three points. Yeah, three points. Yeah, so... Um, although they'll never admit this, it appears pretty clear to me that TFC, uh, at some level of management, was prioritizing a goddamn friendly over a league game. And this makes me so angry. I was fuming watching the game on Saturday. Fuming. I couldn't even focus on the game. I was so angry at the fact that Foe wasn't playing. There are going to be people there that tell me that I'm not to lunch, that I'm a conspiracy theorist, whatever. Maybe I am on other levels. I'm not. But I've watched this club operate for too long to not understand exactly what was going on. And I get the financial stuff behind it, but it's a load of crap, and it is so incredibly disrespectful for those people that come out game in, game out, year in, year out, to follow a crappy team for eight years, that they would do a pull a stunt like this, and they get away with it, because so many people are just complicit to it. They just go, oh, well, you know, I'd rather watch Spurs too. It's a load of crap. You either support MLS or you don't, and why should I support MLS when it's clear that the friggin' team doesn't seem like they want to support either. So anyway, there's my rant. I'm not very happy with the fact that Foe didn't play that game. Um, and that's what I'm going to say about that. Could have been a difference between a draw and a win, right? Yeah, well, he normally takes the penalties. And uh, Bradley, they drew a penalty, and it was a deserved penalty. And Bradley hit the post and missed. And had Defoe been in there, I would have to think that that scored. It was a really frustrating game. To move beyond the Defoe thing, which I think absolutely would have made a difference, because Houston's backline was horrific, especially in the first half, and I think that they could have been opened up for more goals for sure if he had played a full game. Um, it should have been 3-1 TFC. The first goal TFC gave up was a gift. It was a communication error at the back between Orr and, uh, and Bendick, uh, which was the most hilarious goal I've seen TFC allow in some time, which is saying something. So that was one nil that it shouldn't have been, and then TFC comes back. They scored, they scored two goals legitimately, and then they had the missed penalty. So that should have been three goals right there for TFC, and they shouldn't have allowed one of them. So you give the one legitimate goal from Houston, and suddenly your math is three one TFC, and it's three points. But instead, it's one point. And this is a team right now that, although they by no reasonable measure are struggling, aren't thriving. That has to be troubling a little bit. Um, it's why I keep hammering the point home, Kevin, that, that people keep talking about the playoffs, the playoffs this, the play playoffs, you're talking, you know, they're, they're playoffs. Yeah, exactly. We all know what we're doing there. Um, <laughs> they, they, they keep missing the point. The TMC shouldn't be talking about the playoffs right now. They're, they're, they would require a collapse that would make the Leafs end the season look like a fairy tale to miss the playoffs from the point they're in in the East. They're, they're going to make the playoffs, barring something truly spectacularly crazy. Yeah, but you don't want to make the playoffs like Montreal did last year and go out like, yeah, like, like oh, what a bad game that was. But, yeah, you don't want to go out like that either. No, you don't want to make the play-in game either. I'm not yeah. getting pedantic about it, but the, sure. the playoffs are technically the top four, and then there's a wild-card play-in game that Montreal and Vancouver have both played in. So that is the postseason, but it's playing game. You want to make the playoffs proper. You want to get the full home game. You want to have be the first MLS team in Canada host a, a playoff game, right? It's true. It's still up for grabs. And sure, that, 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 uh, 
uh, title still up for grabs. So you need to you need to be winning these games. You need to be destroying teams like Houston, which are on a down streak right now. Yep. Uh, they are a struggling team. They look terrible at the back. They're Brad Davis and Prey at the moment, really. Um, Barnes too, is a decent player, but uh, they, they they are a team that's struggling, and they were there for the taking. And you know they did get four of the six points, but I think it should have been six. And if you truly consider yourself a championship team, and, and right now I think I think TFC from an objective perspective is a middling. They're right in the that in between. I do not think they're a championship team yet, but they are better than just a playoff team. They are somewhere in that kind of mushy in between state, and they need to do something in the next little while, and they have all these injuries they're, t- they're going to have to take care of. Caldwell's out. That's a big one. Uh, that mistake off the top had to be no small no, no small uh, factor involved in the fact that the, that the veteran wasn't sure. back there. Um, it, it's going to be a challenge, and I think that uh, I don't know how much cap room there is there. I'll have to take a closer look and, and see whether I might be able to squeeze more out of it there. I think they still have the first allocation order. They, I think they need that. They need to reinforce, and they need to reinforce with the signing in this in this period. But I I don't know whether that's possible. Yeah, we'll see. But uh, yeah. they still look like the best team in Canada in Major League Soccer, Toronto, for now. For me, uh, Vancouver's making a push for it, but with the type of uh, calendar remaining, eh, I don't know. I think uh, Toronto has a better shot of making the playoff, and maybe going a little further than Vancouver. I think Vancouver can still get. Uh, I think their results are skewed because of the home field advantage a little bit. Yeah, big result for them this week, past weekend, the 1-1 in Salt Lake. Although Salt Lake is reeling a little bit. Um, I predicted them falling off a, a while ago. Their, their record was a little inflated, but that said, it's still very difficult to win in that stadium. So full credit for the Whitecaps for getting that. Um, they played a very cagey game in Toronto midweek last week. Uh, TFC looked much more skilled than Vancouver for long stretches of that game, I think it's fair to say. Uh, but the Whitecaps were were set up to counter in that game, and they did get the goal. Uh, Maddox got the goal on the counter to to allow them to get the 1-0 lead. Um, they forced a penalty. It looked like a legitimate penalty to me. I'm sure the Whitecaps fans disagree, but however, um, the 1-1 result was a bit frustrating from a TFC perspective that night because, again, it felt like they maybe should have created a little bit more from what they had, but... Uh, the Whitecaps kind of held in, and that's sort of what the Whitecaps have been recently, is they've sort of been a team that's that's played cagey enough to, to get a result when they need it, and I'm, they're kind of Stoke City. The Whitecaps are kind of the Stoke City of, of MLS right now, and they're, they're going to probably make the playoffs. I just don't know whether they can do much in them. They'll draw their way to the playoffs. Yeah, which is fine. I mean, it, it, it's good. As I said the other week, though, I think that the Whitecaps, through the resources they have available to them, should really be demanding more. I mean, I you got to ask the question why they're not able to attract hard-aimed hard DPs out there. They have a, a beautiful city. It's a city that's known in the world. I mean, everyone knows the beautiful mountains, and they saw the Vancouver Olympics and all that sort of stuff. You know, there's got to be a reason they're not attracting. And, yes, you're going to lose huge names to the New Yorks and the L.A.s, but every market's going to do that. It's that next tier that you got to get after, your Jermaine Defoe tier. And uh, I'm not sure whether Vancouver's doing it or not. And there is a factor, which I've belabored to death, that's out there that, that maybe Whitecaps fans need to really start talking about a little bit more, although they refuse to because they get very defensive when you start talking about the shit that they play on. But, uh, uh, you know, maybe at some point you have to think about that. Yeah, because for for the player, it's a big factor when your home games hurt you. And on the long run, just ask Jay Demerit how his knees are feeling today. And you might get your answer right there. And you might have taken a year off that man's career. We'll see. I think he's probably white, but... 
Ah, Kevin. Another right, team, like, another Canadian team lost this, uh, this week, Dwayne, as well. Edmonton like, lost against Atlanta, the Silverbacks. Yeah, and unfortunately, unfortunately didn't get to watch that game. But uh, it is a struggle with FC Edmonton, and I worry about their stability because of their lack of success. And I think they deserve a lot of credit, FC Edmonton, for their Canadian focus, particularly in the first year, which ironically enough was their best year. So maybe they need to go back to have more of a Canadian focus. Um However, I, I do worry about the long-term stability as long as they continue to lose. And I don't think we can afford to lose a team. So I think we all, everyone in the Canadian community should be cheering for FC Edmonton to, to improve and rise its standard. I'm not worried about the Fury. They've got that beautiful stadium. The Fury's management is, is a very good management. They're tied in with the, with the Red Blacks, which I don't, there's going to be a honeymoon tied into that CFL team for a few years. So there's going to be enough money there to keep them afloat while they build an audience up. So I don't have much worry about the Fury, but I do worry about FC Edmonton. And I, I, you know, when we're talking about bringing in and starting a new Canadian league, you don't want to see a struggling uh, team at the NASL level. You want to see a, a community step up and support that as it stands now. Absolutely. Because otherwise it might just go into the Canadian league. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Kevin. Um, Pedro is telling me that I, he needs to, my full attention for a while, and uh, we got to do a podcast tomorrow. So I'm going to say goodbye on that note, and uh, we'll be back tomorrow. Uh, we're going to do our Five Rings uh, podcast, and then uh, we'll back be back on Wednesday where we have a special guest. Um, you'll have to tune in to listen to it, but we, we've got ourselves a pretty pretty much set. We've got ourselves a player that's going to come in that's uh, going to a very interesting place in the world, a Canadian International, and you can tune in Wednesday and find out who that is. Good things might come to those who wait, but not for those who wait too late. We gotta go for all we know, just the two of us. We can make.